Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Obedient, we are looking at why being rooted in Christ brings about the blessing of fruitful living. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Didi Bacon. Thinking about the first couple of books of the Bible, well, actually, the first book of the Bible and the first couple of chapters. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God made the world six days. Sixth day, He makes man. On the seventh day, He rests. On the sixth day of making man, we're told, He said, it was very good, very good. Chapter 2 tells us that a little more about what happened to man. God makes man, and He places man in a garden. I've often wondered, why a garden? Why a garden? How is it that the uh, story of the Bible regarding the humanity begins in the garden? doesn't begin with man clawing himself out of a cave. doesn't begin with man uh, struggling to come down from the trees, survival of the fittest and all that. It begins with a garden. There's a message here, a message that I think is connected to this thing about being made in the image of God, as the Bible tells us, but also the calling of man in life. See, to be in a garden, as a gardener, man was first entrusted with this goal to give of himself to help things grow, to cause life to occur. Man doesn't make life, but instead man manages the life that God gives to him. There's a desire in each of us to see that which God gives us flourish and grow. Each of us have this desire to thrive. In fact, Thrive was the very first commandment given to human beings. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Thrive. Thrive. I think every one of us has a deep down desire to thrive in life. Right? We want things to be successful. No one enters into marriage with the desire for it to end in divorce. No one enters into child-rearing with the desire for the kids to be malnourished and unhealthy and not do well. No one enters into a job with the desire for it to all fall apart and to be fired and, and have nothing with fi- no finances. No one enters into the spiritual life with this desire to say, well, it's all going to just cause me to dry up and, and die. We have a desire to thrive. A desire, I believe, has is, is come from this, this commission that God gives us to be, to be stewards, to be His representatives from the garden, but also a, a desire that comes from being made in His image, ones who are here to, to have life and be part of life and see life. God calls us to thrive, yet that's not what we experience, is it? John Orkberg wrote an article, and in that article he talks about his wife, who is a nurse, and his wife was sharing with him a variety of diagnosis, medical conditions. One diagnosis he talks about is a diagnosis that relates to children. It's a pediatric diagnosis. It's FTT. FTT. FTT happens when a child doesn't grow as she should. A child doesn't develop as she should for whatever reason. It might be physical, it might be uh, social, it might be emotional, but for whatever reason, a child does not grow. FTT. FTT stands for failure to thrive. Failure to thrive. And failure to thrive, I think, could be a good description of our experience in this world, right? 
Even though we would love to thrive in our life, the reality is, is that we fail to thrive. And the reason the Bible says we fail to thrive is because of what happened in the garden in chapter 3 of Genesis when man chose to sin, man chose to disobey God, man chose to believe the lie that they could figure out a better way to have life and to have thriving apart from God. And in that happening, sin entered into our world, and the world was infected, if you'd like. The world was affected, and from that point on, we experienced FTT. We failed to thrive. The ultimate FTT is, of course, death. The Bible says death is the result of sin, for the wages of sin is death. But the good news is, is that even though FTT entered into our world through a man, paraphrasing Paul and Romans here, life, the antidote, the answer to the problem, entered in through another man, a man named Jesus. For God sent his son, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life will thrive. Everlasting life. God sent His Son who died on the cross, who paid the price that was due for all of us who are lawbreakers. He died on the cross because of love. But that's not the end of the story, right? The end of the story doesn't end in us giving thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus. No, the end of the story is is that Jesus didn't die. He was buried and He rose again to life providing a way for those of us who believe in Him not only to have forgiveness of sin, but to have life. To not FTT. Ortberg quotes his mentor, a man named Dallas Willard, in one of his books, The Spirit of the Disciplines. Dallas writes, he says, that although we have tended to think of the word salvation as the forgiveness of sins or the escape from punishment, it actually has a much more robust meaning for the writers of Scripture. The simple and wholly adequate word for salvation in the New Testament is life. Jesus said, I I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He that hath life... He that hath the Son hath life. Even when we were dead through our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. When we're with Christ, we're promised life. We're promised the opposite of FTT. And the venue by which this life is released, the place in which we are able to experience in its fullness the life that God has given to us through Jesus is a community. It's not a garden anymore, but a community, a family a family of faith, individuals who have come to Jesus through faith and are filled with the Spirit, gathered together as a community, living in this world, thriving in life. Last week we talked about what the Scriptures say about being part of this community of faith. We talked about the church. We talked about the church as the household of God, the the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth, the bride of Christ. We see that picture in Scripture too, the flock of the good shepherd. We're told that we're citizens of heaven who are making our way back to the promised land. We are the incubator of life. But we know that being in this world, 
even though we might be in the church, we continue to struggle against FTT. We struggle to thrive. And the reason for that is because we face an enemy. While we are a community of faith, and while we say we're citizens of heaven who don't belong here, we're traveling through enemy territory. The enemy, Satan, works against us. He uses the machinery of thoughts and philosophies called the world. He attacks us in our weakness, in our flesh, in our struggle to be able to trust him. And so our experience is that we, though, have life, we continue to struggle against FTT. We continue to struggle against thriving as Jesus intended. We struggle in our walk of faith, seeing life in our marriages, seeing life in our child-rearing, seeing life in our finances, seeing life in our work, seeing life in our personal day-to-day, deep in our souls. This was the problem that was being addressed by Paul when he wrote his letter to his son in the faith called Timothy. And we've been working through this month through the, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. And what we see here is Paul giving instruction to his man, who is the preacher at the church at Ephesus, who has been put in charge of the church in order to set the church up for life, for thriving. The church was facing a particular challenge. The challenge was causing them to doubt, was causing them to to deal with a lack of confidence in the life that God gives them. It was causing them to FTT, fail to thrive. And so Paul, and we're going to be looking in particularly with chapter 4, Paul gives encouragement after encouragement to help these Christians, specifically Timothy, then the the Ephesian church, and now to us who also live in this world where we struggle against FTT, we struggle to find the the life that God gives us and to live that out in our day-to-day to give us encouragement. Understand that as we go through the Scripture, it's going to be one exhortation after the other. Paul kind of gets into, into preacher mode, and he repeats himself, trying to say the same thing in different ways. Um, my wife tells me I have a, I'm guilty of that. I'll ask a question, and if I don't get the answer, I'll just ask it again in a different way, even though, you know, just trying to do that. That's what I do. So Paul kind of gets into that mode where he says the same thing over and over and over, providing encouragement, exhortation, to the Christians in Ephesus to help them flourish, to thrive in Christ. Exhortations that I believe will be helpful for us. And so what we're going to do today, those of you that are fill-in-the-blank junkies, those of you that love to fill in the blanks on the bulletin, I know I haven't had much recently, so today is Christmas for you. You will be really happy. Lots of fill-in-the-blanks. As we kind of walk through this this, this process, I'm kind of modeling for you uh, a way to approach Scripture so that you can glean understanding for your own life. And so we're going to start at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the, a New American Standard Bible. Paul says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. Spirit says, in these days, some of you 
will FTT. You'll fail to thrive in your faith. That's what he says. Paying attention to deceitful spirits, this is the means by which they have failed to thrive, because they pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Paul says the source of those who are falling away in the faith, the source and the reason why we have FTT here in this situation is because these people have believed the lies of these false teachers preaching false teachings that have resulted in you losing your faith in Jesus. And then he says this in verse 6, and he gives us the beginning of a number of insights into thriving a, in a Christ-centered life. He says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Now, there's your first fill in the blank. Constantly nourished. What does that mean? Constantly nourished. Constantly nourished, he says, in the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Well, he's using an imagery that I think every one of us can relate to. He's talking about eating, right? I mean, we're talking lunch. No, let's just start properly. Breakfast, then morning snack, then lunch, then afternoon snack, and then dinner. Now, some of you look strangely, are looking strangely. That's how I eat. This is, that's called normal nourishment for me, Right? five meals a day, that's how it operates. And if I don't have one of those meals on a regular basis, I feel malnourished. Bottom line is we know that we have to feed our body regularly and with good things in order to have our bodies flourish and be healthy. It's just something we all know to be true. Whether we do it or not is another question. But the point is, is that we all know that we have to nourish our bodies in order to have life. Well, Paul says to Timothy, remember that in order to thrive, it requires nourishing yourself in the faith. And the form of nourishment you take in is what? The word of faith and that of sound doctrine. He's talking about the teachings of Jesus and his apostles. For us, practically, he's talking about what is captured for us in the pages of what we call the Bible. You will not thrive in your life of Christ if you are not constantly feeding on the Word of God. Just as we know that you won't do well Physically, if you only eat once a week, we should also know that you won't do spiritually well if you're only eating the Word of God, if you're only feeding on the Word of God, if you're only taking in the Word of God once a week. If you want to flourish, if you want to thrive in your walk with Jesus, you have to be constantly nourished on the Word of God. Of course, you have, we have help as a family of, of faith. We provide help as a church. We give you Bible studies. We have small groups. We have individuals that have given themselves to, to learning Scripture so that they may explain it well, gifted by God to be a teacher or a preacher. We have individuals that are available to you in this church on a regular basis that can help you learn the Word of God. Study guides in the bulletin, uh, discipleship groups, uh, seminars that are coming along. All 
geared to help you learn the Word of God so that you might be nourished, so that you might thrive. You know, the truth is, is that we have access, more access to the Bible than anyone else ever in history. Do you know that? We have more Bibles on our shelves than many times communities even 100 years ago would have within a whole village. We have more access to Bible today than ever before and more access to resources that can help us understand Scripture today. And we have more helps available to us if we're plugged into a church like Mount Carmel Christian Church that can help us be nourished on the Word of God. The real issue is, is I don't think it's a matter of we can't feed on the Word of God. Many times I think it's a matter of we won't. And if we won't, the result is that we'll be malnourished. If you want to thrive, understand that you must be nourished on the Word of God. Verse 7 and 8. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women, old wives' tales. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is, of, is only of little profit, meaning it, it is profitable but only a little bit in comparison to what? But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. What is he saying? Well, let's just unpack this a little more. What's a discipline? A discipline is something that you do on a regular basis for a designated purpose, right? And usually disciplines are not big things you do in the day. They're usually small things that you do in the day that you can either choose to do or not to do. Because the power of the discipline isn't in the big thing that you do in that moment, but in the repetition of it, doing it day in and day out. I may choose to not shower today. I know, kind of weird. I may choose not to shower today, and if I don't shower, it's probably not going to affect my life drastically. And if I do shower today, it's not going to affect my life drastically, is it? But if I choose not to shower today and not to shower tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day, after a while, my life is going to be drastically changed. For one, I'm going to start stinking, and I'm going to be dirty. I'm going to become socially awkward to be around because people are going to look at you like, nasty. Personally, I might put my health in jeopardy because I'm going to become vulnerable to illness because I'm not showering on a regular basis. Pick up bugs and germs. Showering is something you can do or not do easily on one day, but the power of the habit of cleaning yourself on a regular basis comes from doing it day in and day out on a, in a discipline. Well, Paul says, hey, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. If your goal, instead of having your body clean, is instead have a godly life, then give yourself to those small habits that you can do on a repeated basis. Small, easy to do, easy not to do. But bring about godliness. And what is godliness? Godliness is being like God. And Jesus said, if you want to be like God, understand it can be captured in one commandment. Love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, godliness is characterized by being a person who loves God and loves people. And so if you want to be engaged in habits that bring about godliness, then do things on a regular basis that plug you into loving God and loving people. Already mentioned the Word of God. Prayer. Every day you can choose to pray or you can choose not to pray. 
On one day, it doesn't make a difference. Over time, it will. You can choose to be available to serve, saying yes to serve. Thank you to everyone that, that chose to serve this week and taking meals to our firemen and our police officers. You said yes to serve. And the folks that said yes to serve are people that typically are characterized by saying yes on a regular basis to be used by God to give what they have to bless others. Giving 10% of your gross income as a gift to the church it's a habit. Every time you get paid, it happens regularly. Every time you get paid, you give that gift as a tithe. That's what a tithe is. And that's the, the bottom line standard of generosity set for us in Scripture. God calls us to go beyond the tithe, but that, tithe, that generosity is developed, that godliness is developed by giving you, yourself to the habit that you can do it or you cannot do it. It doesn't make a difference on one day, but over time, it creates godliness. Developing a habit of gratitude at the end of the day instead of sitting down on the couch and slumping and say, ugh, ugh. Say, today I'm going to say thank you, God, for three things, and I'm going to make this my pledge of honoring God by saying three things I'm thankful for every day, whether it's hard or whether it's been a great day. Pursue godliness by engaging in disciplines that lead you there. Verse 12, we're going to jump down to verse 12. Let no one look down on you, don't, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So Timothy was facing being discredited by his critic, critics for being young, right? They were saying, you can't lead that Ephesian church. No one needs to listen to you because you're too young. You don't know what you're talking about. You're green. That was his issue. I will tell you this. If you are seeking to be obedient to God in your life, someone will say something to you and will try to discourage you for something. It may be because you're too young. It may be because you're too old. It may be because you're a guy. It may be because you're a girl. It may be because you lived a wild and crazy life, or it may be because you were a goody two-shoes and you have no credibility because you never did any of these bad things that they went through. It may be because you went to public school. It may be because you went to homeschool. It may be because you went to Bible college or maybe because you didn't go to Bible college. I don't care what it is, but every one of us faces being discredited to live our life for God for something. We will face opposition that will lead to failure to thrive if we buy into it for something in our life. For Timothy, it was because he was young. And Paul says, hey, don't let anyone look down on you because of your own. Don't let them use this as an excuse to discourage you, to, to, to stop you doing what you're called to do. Instead, respond by making a commitment to be an example. Be an example of what? Be an example of someone who is consistent in how they strive to live. An example in the way you talk. The way you talk matches the way you say you believe. The way you act matches the way you say you believe. The way you love matches the way you say you believe. That you will proclaim your faith on Sunday and there will be a consistent in the way you behave Friday night. Because when you do this, you'll counteract failure to thrive. 
when it comes to your spiritual life. Verse 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Give attention. That's very key here, a key theme. Give attention means make an effort, put in the work, have a focus. Focus on what? Well, for Timothy, he's been told to focus on his ministry calling. For, for, for Timothy, he was called to be the preacher at the Ephesian church. For us, it may be we might have a different assignment. Maybe our calling to service is to, is to serve in the church in, in this ministry. Maybe our calling to service is to, to, to serve within our home or to serve in, in our work situation. Bottom line is if we look into Scripture, we see that the picture of Scripture that the Scriptures give us of the church is it's a body of many parts. Each part does its work differently, but all for one purpose. The parts represent you and me who are members of the church. Each of us are called to serve in the church and outside of the church as the church to serve others. Give yourself to saying yes to service. When you fail to say yes to service in the name of Jesus, it will result in FTT. Counteract that by saying yes whenever God calls you to serve. Verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Presbytery refers to the eldership. And so he says to Timothy, hey, don't neglect what God has called you to do, which was confirmed by prophecy. It's a spiritual gift. It's something that was given to you from God's supernatural power. And it was uh, kind of confirmed by the ordination of the elders. Specifically, we're talking the calling that Timothy has as the preacher on Paul's behalf to the church like Ephesus. What does that mean for us? Well, that means, I think, being aware of the calling God has placed us, the spiritual gift, our spiritual life that God calls us to live in. He says, don't neglect that. You want to know what neglect looks like? Come to my house and look out the back door and see my shed. I've got an old shed back there. There's a new shed uh, that I have that everything's stored in, and that looks good. But my old shed is falling apart. Actually, I'm dismantling it piece by piece. I'll smash up a piece, put it in the dumpster, day and day out. The, the roof leaks. There's mold. Uh, you know, there's vines all over it. Shannon had this great idea of putting English vines on one side. Well, the English vines then took over the whole side and the top and around, and it's insane, and I had to kill the vine. Anyway, long story. She's here. I don't want to get into a fight. Um, the point is, is that the shed is being neglected, and it's intentional neglect because it's an old shed, and I'm getting rid of it. I don't care for it. I don't take care of the roof. I don't care, take care of the siding. I don't make sure nothing grows on it. I don't sweep it out. Why? Because I'm getting rid of it. It's been neglected. Paul says, don't do that to the spiritual gift you've received. Don't do that to your spiritual life. Don't ignore it. Don't not pay attention to it. Give it attention and focus. Here's something to think about. Why don't you put down, looked at your calendar and said, okay, here's my day. I woke up at this time and I did this and I did this and I did this, da, 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 all the way down and you come to, and then I went to bed. What if you had the courage to really be honest and say, this is what I did with my time and, and really kept a journal and a note, an accounting, a spreadsheet, I don't know. And when you looked at that accounting and that spreadsheet of the investment of your time, 
would you look at and say, okay, how much time did I invest in my spiritual life? How much time did I give so as to care for and pay attention to my spiritual life, my walk with Jesus, to nurture the gift that God has given me? Does the accounting show neglect or care? If you want to thrive in the life that God gives you, don't neglect it. Take pains, verse 15, with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. What is being absorbed? He's kind of reiterating again the same thing. Absorbed is binge watching a show on Netflix or Amazon Prime, right? We know how that is, right? Uh, you watch one and you're like, ah, wow, we've watched five, five episodes. It's two o'clock in the morning. Should we watch another one? Yes, that's being absorbed, right? Absorbed is not being able to put down a book. Being absorbed is having that conversation, uh, not having a conversation with the wife because you're watching the game. Now, in Cincinnati, I don't know what game you'll be watching. Uh, it might be FC Cincinnati. Oh, who day? It might be who day. Okay. Uh, but I think we know what absorbed means. If we want a thriving life in Christ, we've got to be absorbed in God. Of course, memorizing Scripture helps, studying the Word helps, praying helps, talking about our faith in our small group helps. Giving an investment to make our spiritual life an important part of our life is being absorbed by God. See, to thrive as a Jesus follower, we must be nourished on the Word of God. We must be disciplined for the purpose of godliness. We must be committed to being an example of consistency. We practice what we preach. We must be focused on ministry. We must prioritize our spiritual life. We must be absorbed by God. And then verse 16 pulls it all together. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. That word pay attention basically means keep your eyes on the road. How many of you have been on a long journey and you're really tired, and you blink, and then you realize your blink was more than a blink, that you kind of fell asleep, it's scary, isn't it? You're like, <gasps> right? When he says, don't take your eye off the road. When he says persevere in these things, what he means is not only don't take your eye off the road, but don't change the path. Don't go off the road. Don't change the, the, the path that you're on. Stay the course. Stay faithful. Too many times in this world, I think we get distracted and we get discouraged. We get despondent. We veer off the road. We tear our eyes off the road when it comes to living for Jesus. And then what happens? And then we wonder why we're not thriving the life that he's given us. Well, it's because we took our eyes off the road and we veered off the path. Apple just came up with a new iOS operating system, iOS 12 for iPhone and iPad. And uh, I updated, and it's one of the first updates that has caused my phone to run faster than, and not slower. It's pretty cool. There's a new feature on iOS 12. Um, it's called Screen Time. Screen Time provides you an assessment. It gives you feedback on how much time you spend on the phone, and it'll tell you how much time you spend on Facebook, the minutes on Facebook, down to the seconds, uh, time on internet, texting, messaging, all that stuff that you do on the phone. My wife has been telling me for some time that I have a problem 
with always having my nose in the phone. And I deny it because that's what husbands do, right? We argue. Um, I'm like, no, blah, blah, blah. Well, I can't argue with, I can't argue with this app, screen time. I can't because it tells me right there. And I'm going to have to have the courage and the openness to say, you know, it says what it says. It tells me what it tells me. And I either can choose to ignore it and say it's stupid, or I can choose to accept it and pay attention. Because having my nose in the screen and wasting my time doing all sorts of crazy things that can happen is really not living paying attention to myself. And it's not living paying attention to the things I teach and the way it affects others. And so that app, Screen Time, serves as an opportunity for me to have life, to thrive. I mean, it works the same way, you know. We have the scale. The scale can, can tell us, tells us the truth, unless it's broken, but by and large it tells us the truth. And we can either be open to it or we can be uh, close to it. If we have courage, it says, it says what it says and it tells me what it tells me. Our checkbook entries and our assessment of our finances says what it says and tells us what it tells us. And we can either be open to it or we can ignore it and not pay attention to it and wonder why we're not thriving financially. Bottom line is, is that this passage of Scripture and, and this verse 16 really is a summary statement that says, hey, this is purpose of this encouragement and this series of encouragements is not to make you feel badly. It's purpose to bring you life. Because if you want to thrive in your life of Jesus, you've got to pay attention. Pay attention to yourself, your conduct, how you operate do you live consistently to that which you say you believe? Do you live consistently to loving God and loving people? Pay attention, he says, to how, what you teach. You say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a teacher. Yes, you are. If you're a Jesus follower, you have people that look to you as you follow Jesus. They follow suit. If you're a parent, you have kids. You're a spouse. You have another spouse. Husband, you have a wife. Wife, have a husband. You have people in your sphere of influence that look to you for advice and counsel. You have people that you influence. And Paul says to Timothy, hey, pay attention to yourself. Live in a manner that is thriving based on these disciplines and habits. And when you do that, you'll bring life, salvation to yourself and to those whom you influence. You'll thrive. And I believe we all want to thrive, Right? I believe we all want to have the life that Jesus offers. I believe we all want to be journeying to heaven, continuing to thrive, and not FTT. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's stand. We're going to pray. A couple of guys are going to come forward, be available to pray with you in person if you have anything you'd like to pray with them in person about. If you'd like to share with them that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if you want to share with them your desire to make a decision to be a Jesus follower, a Christian, let them know. I'm going to just be dismissed. I'm going to pray a blessing on all of us. Ask God to work in us, work through this message, and then after that we'll be dismissed.
Lord, we thank you for this time we can share. We pray that uh, you give us the courage and the wisdom to approach the Word of God, as uh, one Bible writer says, as if it's a mirror, that we will look into it and see what needs to be seen regarding us. And if we're failing to thrive in our Christian life and our walk with you, if we're dealing with FTT in various aspects of our life, I pray that you give us the courage and the insight to let us know why. Lord, you provide resources and help for us to know how to live and endure and have salvation. I pray that you would help us to have the courage to enter into that and the steps to take so that we will not FTT, we will not fail to thrive, but instead be examples of individuals who pay close attention to ourselves in Jesus and pay a close attention to how we teach others about Jesus so that we might see your life in us a life that is eternal and takes us into eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.